The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Well, take your Bibles this evening. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah. And tonight I'm going to preach a message entitled, A A Mind to Work. And this morning, of course, I I preached uh, concerning the condition and state of our society and our nation from, from, um, from, from Joshua or from Judges where we, we read, uh, there arose another generation that knew not God. And uh, that's pretty much what we have in America today is we have a generation of young people that don't know the Lord, that know not God, and, and um, we need to correct that. We need to fix that in this country. Um, I'm, uh, as you can probably tell from my physical appearance, I'm, I'm a bit on the older side, and uh, I'm going to be 60 years old this year, and um, so I've seen a lot in America. Uh, I was a child of, born in the, in the mid-50s and grew up in the 60s and the 70s, and it was definitely a, a wild and rebellious time, but uh, as young people, we, we still had a fear of God, and we had respect. And uh, today we have a nation where those things don't exist too much. And tonight we're going to take a look at, from the book of Nehemiah, and uh, let me read, let's read together, just turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, and you can read silently as I read aloud from Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. I want you to focus on that statement. The people had a mind to work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity tonight. I pray that you would uh, give me the words to speak, that I might say only those things that you want me to say. Thank, I, I want to thank all those who are here, and I, I pray you bless them for being here and bless our time together. We now praise you and worship and give all glory and honor unto you. All that will be said is to your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Jews have been in captivity for uh, many, many years, many, many hundreds of years. And Nehemiah, 
serves in the palace of, of the king of, of, the, um, of, of the Persians. And word comes to Nehemiah of the, the deplorable condition of Israel. And Nehemiah is brokenhearted and, and he's distraught over this. So Nehemiah seeks permission from the king and is given permission to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall and to fortify the city. And here in chapter 4, we, we see them building the wall and we see the, the Samaritans mocking the Jews and, and actually uh, threatening physical harm to them. But we, what we see here is because of Nehemiah's actions, we see that the people in this city had a mind to work. And I want to I examine that tonight. I want to look at that. Some words come to mind when I consider this message. Attitude. Uh, the attitude of the people is important. Priorities. Um, in life, we must have the right priorities. We must, we must put the right things in order. Uh, expectations. There are expectations. Uh, God has expectations for us, and we have expectations for ourselves. And then the word commitment. To do something meaningful, to do something purposeful takes commitment. And these are great words, attitude, priorities, expectations, commitment. These people that we are going to look at tonight, they face poverty. They, they face affliction. They faced persecution. They faced reproach. They faced discouragement. Yet despite all of this, Nehemiah was able to say of them that they had a mind to work. They had not abandoned hope. They did not give up. They bought into the task. They committed to the cause. We hear much today about the condition of our nation, and, and rightly so. Uh, we see much deprivation in the fabric, fabric of our society. We see less tolerance today for biblical morals and principles. But I must ask the question tonight, can the same be said about us as could be said about these people this remnant of Jews in Jerusalem. Could people look at us tonight and, and could people say, now there's some people with a mind to work. There are some people that they're facing a lot of difficulties and a lot of hard things in their life. But one thing about them, one thing about those people at Berean is they have a mind to work. They have a mind to serve the Lord. Can that be said about us? I hope so. I hope our testimony in this community is such that people, people would say, well, that church over there, they, they preach a lot about hell. Their pastor preached for, what was it, 12, 14 weeks on hell. How, how long was it? 120 times he preached about hell. But one thing about those people at Berean is, they, they, they love the Lord. You, you can tell they love the Lord. They serve Him. They work. They do what needs to be done. And I hope that's our testimony. Tonight I want to ask each of us here to stop and consider that question about ourselves. Not about the person sitting next to you. 
Not about the person on the other side of the sanctuary from you, but you yourself, the person that you are. Do you, do you have a mind to work? There's so much that must be done today. So much that needs to be done, even within our own church. And if we are going to accomplish the tasks that we have of rebuilding the walls of our faith in America today, if we're going to accomplish this this task, we're going to need to follow the examples left by Nehemiah in, in, in the book after his name. So, with the time I have tonight, I want to look at this event in biblical history, and I want us to consider the factors that went into these people laboring and doing this great work for God. So number one tonight, I want us to see that there was despair over the desolation. I'd like for you to just back up a couple of chapters to Nehemiah chapter 1 with me. And let's, let's begin at verse number 3. We read here in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now look at Nehemiah's reaction in verse 4. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Do you see Nehemiah's despair? The Bible says he wept. He mourned for days. And as I am sure, as was the custom of the Jews, that he, he donned sackcloth, and he lay in the dust and in the ashes, and he wept in abject sorrow and humiliation. Now, what was he weeping over? Anybody know what he was weeping about? He was weeping about Jerusalem. He was weeping about the people in that city and the the affliction they were under and the persecution they were facing, the poverty and the desolation that they faced. It broke his heart. It brought him to tears. He was brokenhearted over the condition of his beloved city. The sorrow, the shame, the reproach upon the name of the Lord. This, this was all too painful for Nehemiah to bear. He, he, could, not just, he could not just walk away and, and say, oh well, I'll pray a quick little prayer for my brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and hopefully things will be okay. This was a burden too heavy for his heart to bear. And he, he broke down and he wept and he cried. What about the desolation in our world tonight? Sometimes I, now as I said this morning, I spent over 25 years of my life 
working with teenagers every day, mentoring them and teaching them, counseling them, advising them, disciplining them. They didn't like that part, but it was all part of it. And so often now when I, sometimes I I come here in the afternoons to, to pick up my wife and I look out at the street and I see the school kids leaving and going home and I I look at them and my heart breaks and I weep because these are young people that have no direction. They, they don't know God. They don't know of God's greatness. They don't know of His work. They, they, they don't even realize how desolate they are. And my heart is broken for them. My grandchildren, sometimes I, I sit at home with my grandson's on my lap and I think about the condition of this country and I wonder when I when I look at little three-year-old Noah and I say Noah I love you to the moon and back and he looks at me and says I love you to the galaxy and back I wonder Noah when you're 20 years old will you even have a church to attend will you be able to get up on a Sunday morning and go sit and have someone open the word of God to you and say, thus saith the Lord. Folks, things need to change. And Nehemiah, he was, he was in despair. He heard of Jerusalem, and he, he heard of the plight of that city, and he was brokenhearted. He was brokenhearted. What was he brokenhearted about? I noted a couple of things. Number one, letter A, he was brokenhearted about the abandonment of God's Word. Tonight, the Word of God has been banned from our legislature, legislative and judicial systems. It's been banned from the governmental schools, and I don't call them public schools because they're not public schools, they're government schools. You need to know you're sending your children to government schools and they're being indoctrinated with, with what the government wants them to be indoctrinated with. It's been banned from the governmental schools. Prayer is no longer welcome in the classrooms. It's no longer welcome in the courtrooms. Biblical principle has been replaced with secular humanist philosophies. In Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 9, Jeremiah writes, The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? This is what we see today. I'm amazed at the ignorance of such supposed intelligent people. And the Bible warned us of that. In Romans chapter 1 it said, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And far too many Christians today are mesmerized by these men. Listen, just because a man has acronyms after his name, uh, BA, BS, MBA, PhD, just because they have those cute little letters does not mean that they possess wisdom. It means they're smart. They know how to pass tests. But it doesn't mean that they have enough wisdom to get out of the way of a mighty and angry God. 
These wise men are ashamed, Nehemiah said. They're dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. Oh yes, even among many of those that proclaim to be believers, even among those that we see, uh, even among those we see an abandonment of God's word and doctrine. Men forsaking the principles of the word of God, changing the word of God to accommodate their own desires in life. Justifying their disobedience to God. Justifying their behavior by changing the Word of God. You can find just about any version of the the Bible. You can find a version of the Bible to, to say just about anything you want it to say. Because men change the Word of God into lies. But the truth cannot be silenced. Do you realize the devil's been trying to silence the truth of the Word of God since the Garden of Eden? But he has not succeeded and he never will succeed. The Word of God is forever settled in heaven. But also, we we not only see the abandonment of God's Word, but secondly, we see the abomination of the world. The abomination of our world. In Psalm 14, verse 1, we read, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. We see the abominable works in this world that are embraced and that are tolerated and that are accepted even by Christian people. I'm talking about things such as homosexuality. I'm talking about things like pornography, incest, fornication, abortions, drunkenness, murder, all these things, all of these abominable works occurring all about us every day. Yet the vast majority of Christians are either oblivious of it or they have just become tolerant and receptive of it. In Romans chapter 1, we read where Paul states that not only do we know that these works are, are abominable, but not only do we, do we tolerate them, but we, we accept those that do them. Oh yes, we, we, we've become so wise, haven't we? We've become so enlightened. We've become so intelligent that we, lo- that we embrace the works that God calls abominable in His own Word. And let me remind you, if you are a friend of this world, then you are what? The enemy of God. Listen, I don't... I don't. I, I want to be careful what I say here. I don't know who you love tonight. I love God. And I'm going to serve him. And this world has no attraction to me. It has no allurements for me. I have a purpose here. I don't, I don't fully know what it is. God does. And, and as long as he wants me here, I'll be here. And I'll serve him. And I'll do what I need to do. But one thing I will not be is a friend of this world. Moses, the Bible says, chose to suffer affliction with the people of God 
rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And that's what we need, folks. We, as God's children, we need to embrace God and His principles and not this world. So we see the abandonment of God's Word, the abomination of our world, but then thirdly, we see the aversion of God's will. The aversion of God's will. I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 9. Don't lose Nehemiah chapter 1 because we're going to come back. Jeremiah chapter 9. And let's look at verse number 13. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 13. And the Lord saith, Because they have forsaken my law which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the heathen, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them till I have consumed them. God is here pronounced. He's having Jeremiah explain to, to his people, you have pushed me too far. You have gone beyond the limit. We see the aversion of God's will all around us tonight. We see people professing to be Christians, turning from the truth, turning from the will of the Lord, and turning unto the desires of their heart and flesh. And in doing this, they've corrupted their ways, and they've corrupted the ways of their children. They are disobedient. And they even detest the law of the Lord. Oh yes, Nehemiah wept over the condition of Jerusalem. He, he was broken hearted. When, when they came to him and told him of, of the plight of, of, the, of the remnant of Jews in Jerusalem, Nehemiah was broken hearted. He wept. But then there's something else Nehemiah did. And number two, he prayed for God's providence. Nehemiah prayed for God's providence. So first he wept, and, and, and certainly, listen, you and I should be brokenhearted for the condition of, 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 the, of, God, of the faith of our, of our beliefs in this country. We should be brokenhearted when we consider the, what's happened to the Word of God in America and what's going on in our churches across America. It should break our hearts. It should, it should, it should cause us to weep. It should, it should bring us into despair. <laughs> but then we shouldn't stay there. It's good to be awakened. But once awakened, we need to get busy and start doing something about it. And Nehemiah did. He prayed for God's providence. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, we see that, that, that in verses 1 through 3 and, and part of verse 4, he mourned and he wept. But then, at the end of verse 4, look what it says. It says, 
and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, uh, though there, there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the earth, heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to, to fear thy name, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. <laughs> now, what exactly is Nehemiah praying for here? Well, he's praying for a couple of things. He's praying for the, his brothers and sisters in, in, in Jerusalem, yes, but he's also praying that he would find favor with the king, because he was the king's cupbearer. Now, let me quickly explain this to you. As the king's cupbearer, it was Nehemiah's job to taste all of the king's food and all of the king's drink to make sure that none of it was poisoned. So you can imagine that a king's cupbearer was someone he was very, very close to. And he tried to make sure was very, very happy at all times. I mean, if you're under constant threat of being poisoned, you don't want the guy who's going to check out your food and say, yeah, it's safe to eat. You don't want him not liking you. And Nehemiah knows that he needs to go to the king and he needs to ask the king to let him go so he can go to his, to his beloved Jerusalem so he can restore that city to, 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 to where it needs to be. And, and he needs the king's permission. So he's asking God here for some really big things. Now, there are some things I want us to see in Nehemiah's prayers. First, Nehemiah acknowledges the sin of Israel in verses 6 and 7. Now, confession is always necessary before we seek God's blessings. Uh, compare this to washing your hands before sitting down to a meal. Uh, you want to be clean before you, you intake food. You want your hands to be clean. I mean, Bob here is a, is a mechanic. I'm sure Bob wouldn't want to have a bunch of grease and oil and grime all over his hands. And Bronwyn comes in and she says, Hi, honey, I made you a sandwich. And Bob says, Oh, give me that sandwich. And he grabs it with his oily, greasy hands. Of course not. What would he do? Well, he'd stop and he'd wash his hands and he'd make them clean. You notice how well I imitated Bronwyn, by the way. It was just a, just a wonderful feat. But... He'd want his hands to be clean. And, and you and I, when we, when we come to God 
to seek his, his blessings. We want our life to be clean. And we do this by confessing sin, by coming to God. And that's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. He's confessing his sins and he's confessing the sins of his father's house and the sins of his people before God. He's humbling himself and coming before God in humiliation and asking for forgiveness. James says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. David understood this. After his great sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51 and verse 1, David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Do you understand that God doesn't need you to confess his sin, your sins because he doesn't know about them. He already knows about them. What he wants is he wants your repentance to come out. And when you come to him and acknowledge and confess your guilt, that is a sign of repentance. And this is what God desires. But not only does Nehemiah, first of all, acknowledge the sins, but secondly... Nehemiah affirms the expectations of the Lord in verses 8 and 9. And here is where he talks about the commandments that God gave Moses. The expectations upon the people that they would obey his commandments, that they would obey him and follow all that he had commanded them to do. God does indeed have expectations for us. Now the the temperature of this world and the and the false the false doctrines all over this that permeate this country in American churches would have us believe that that God just wants you to do your best. That's all He wants you to do. Just do your best. But can I say that that's hogwash? God doesn't want you to do your best because the only thing your best can do is condemn you to hell. He doesn't want you to do your best. He wants you to live in His Holy Spirit. He wants you to walk in the Spirit of God. He wants you to walk in the image of Christ. God says, turn it over to me and obey me. That's what God wants. And that's what He expects. He expects that we will walk in the new man, that he, behold, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And God wants you and I to live in that new nature, in that new man. To walk in the, to be filled with the Spirit of God and to walk in holiness and to walk in righteousness. That's what God expects of us. Yes, He does have expectations for us. Deuteronomy chapter 11, we read, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. May I remind you that verse right there is addressed to God's children, not to the lost to those that he calls his own. 
God says, oh yes, I've got blessings for you if you walk according to my word, but I have a curse for you if you disobey me. Oh, we don't want to hear that in America, do we? Oh, no, no. That's, that's not God. That's not the real God. Yeah, that's the real God. He'll bless you or he'll curse you. He has expectations and we best start following them. Oh, I tell you, my daddy had expectations and I knew what they were. And I know what I got if I didn't follow his expectations. It's time that we stop viewing God through the through the, the rose-colored glasses of the false teachers who want to make merchandise of men and want to tell them happy things so they keep emptying their wallets out to them. You see, this kind of preaching will never get a man an appearance on national television. This kind of preaching won't get a preacher invited to preach at a seminar. But I tell you what this kind of preaching will do. It will save your souls. And the souls of your children. And the soldiers of your, the souls of your grandchildren. And your great grandchildren. And, and of generations to come. This kind of preaching will turn America back to God. But you're not going to hear it outside of the walls of little churches like this. In remote areas. Because men don't want it. I think I'm off my message, but that's okay. Nehemiah affirms the expectations of the Lord, and then in his prayer, Nehemiah evokes the promises of God in verses 10 and 11. Nehemiah takes a page out of Moses' prayers to God. Moses, remember Moses up on Mount Sinai when he, when he got the commandments and, and, and God said, get thee down because these people have corrupted themselves and I'm going to destroy all of them and I'm going to start all over again with you. Remember that? Remember Moses said, ho, 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 wait a minute here, God. Hey, these are Abraham's kids. You promised them some stuff. Lord, these are your people. Remember, they're yours. And Moses reasoned with God and, and, and quieted the, the anger of God. Remember that? And then if you remember a few books later, Moses was saying, God, why don't you kill all these people? Because I've had enough of them. <laughs> and God said, no, wait a minute, Moses. These are Abraham's children, and I promised everything. Well, that's exactly what Nehemiah's doing here. In verses 10 and 11, he's, he's reminding God that these are his people. Look in verse 10. Now, these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fill thy name. And, and, and he, he reminds God, he evokes the promises of God. This is exactly what Nehemiah is doing, and this is exactly what you and I have been given the authority to do. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, there's nothing wrong with a believer going to God and saying, God, you, you promised to take care of me. You promised you'd never forsake me. Lord, you promised to provide for me, and I'm praying, and I'm asking you, Lord, to fulfill that promise unto me. There's nothing wrong with that, but let me warn you about something. You better be walking the line. If you're going to come to God and you're going to evoke his promises, you better be worthy of his promises. You better be toeing the line. 
Everything we do must be bathed in prayer. So we see first that Nehemiah was um, in despair over the desolation of Jerusalem. We see that Nehemiah prayed for God's providence. But then thirdly, I want you to see something in this whole story. And number three, I want you to see that the people were moved by Nehemiah's message. Now this, this is uh, going to bring, bring some of this home to you and me. What do we do? How do we react to, to, the, to the, what we hear, to the preaching and, and to the message that God gives us? What do we do? The people were moved by Nehemiah's message. Look at, look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 2, the king has given Nehemiah permission. He's given him a leave of absence and said, go ahead and take whatever time you need. Go back to Jerusalem and help your people. And then when you're done there, you come back to me. So now in chapter 2, Nehemiah has, has come to the city and he's, he's taken a look at the condition and, and it's even worse than he was told. And, and he's, he's, he's taken some time and he's toured the city and he's looked at the wall and, and he's, he's prayed about it <laughs> and now he's ready to act. And look with me in chapter 2 and let's go to verse number 12. It says here, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that I was under, uh, that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. <coughs> Verse 16. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told, told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lie waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. So here we see Nehemiah revealing to the people his plan. He's revealing to, to the elders and to the, <laughs> to the leaders and to the people that he's come back to help them rebuild the wall and to secure Jerusalem once again. So we've seen the despair over the desolation. We've seen the prayer of God's providence. Now Nehemiah shares his vision and his mission with these people. Now, I think that most preachers would be envious of the response given to Nehemiah by the people. For what did they say in verse 18? They said, let us rise up and build. They were moved. These people were in desperate need. They were desolate. They were, they were, they were impoverished. They were afflicted. And Nehemiah came with a message of, of hope. He came with a message of power, and these people were moved by Nehemiah's message. His message brought them hope. 
It gave them a vision for what could be done. It provided them with God's plans to restore their blessed city. Now, let me get a little personal here for a moment. After 35 years of ministry, I have discovered that the majority of people who attend the preaching of God's Word are not applying that preaching to themselves. I'm not a novice at this. I've been doing this a long time. And, and I find that most of the time people sit in a place like this, hear preaching, and they get up and they walk out and they're totally unaffected. They're totally unchanged. It doesn't, it doesn't attach itself to them. They don't take ownership of what they heard. They don't apply it to themselves. Why? Well, it's, it's almost as if they're, they're here just to satisfy some duty. Well, I've I got to do my duty today. I've got to go to church. And they sit in a preaching service on a Sunday morning when the 49ers are scheduled to kick off at 1 o'clock. And the preacher, it's 12.30 and he's still going strong. And they're thinking, well, is he ever going to shut up? Are we going to ever get out of here? Come on, man, I need to go. Wow. Is that, is that the attitude? Do you know people like that? I, I mean, you look, you're all looking at me like, what? But you see, like I said, I'm not a novice at this. I've been doing this a long time. And I've observed people's reaction to preaching. And when the preaching gets personal, people don't like it. But I got news for you. That's what preaching is. Preaching is supposed to provoke you to action. I'm not here. I'm not tonight. I'm not teaching. I hope you learn something. But I'm not teaching tonight. I'm preaching. I'm trying to get under your skin. Not, not because I don't want, not because I don't like you or because I, I'm trying to hurt. I'm trying to get God's urgency across into your heart and mind. These people heard the message of Nehemiah. They heard Nehemiah talking about what God had put in his heart to do and, and what God had given him a vision for. And these people are moved by Nehemiah's message. And they said, they, they said, let us rise up and build. They said, Let us, let's get up and do something here. Let's don't, let's don't leave here the same way we were before. Let, let's put some goals in place. Let's, let's make some changes in our life. Let's rise up and build. <laughs> but that's not the attitude of, of most people. Most people are focused on their own personal agendas. But these people were focused on what Nehemiah had to say. It stirred them to action. Maybe if God sends a depression to America tonight, maybe then they'll respond. <coughs> maybe if God takes away all of your creature comforts, all of your peace. Maybe if God pulls away your health or the health of your children. Maybe if God does something to, to, to shake your your tree a little bit. Maybe if God does something to make you open your eyes and realize what is on this earth is unimportant. It's God that matters. These people had lost everything. They had nothing. They, they had lost even their own hope. 
And God sent a messenger, and God sent a message of great hope to them, and these people responded. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6, Isaiah writes, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Listen, don't wait until desolation overtakes your life. Don't wait until some terrible thing happens for you to to be driven to to the point of, of desperation. God doesn't need you to get there. He doesn't want you to get there. He wants to bless you now. Respond to Him when He speaks to you. But then I must hasten. Number four, God's people faced opposition with faith. The reconstruction of the wall was, was met with much resistance. They, they started the work and, and they built the wall, but there was a lot of resistance to this. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19 we read, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1 we read, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. In verse 3, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. In, in verse 7 we read, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. The enemies of God and his people did not want this wall to be built. The wall represented protection. It represented stability. It represented authority and power. And they didn't want it. They didn't want the, 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 the God's people to have that. And let me state that the enemies of God tonight do not want to see us succeed in furthering the gospel in this world. They want to stop us in every way they can. And they've tried many times. The, the inquisitions. They tried to shut the mouths of believers, but it didn't work. Hitler tried to, tried to destroy God's people. It didn't work. There have been countless incursions upon the Word of God over the centuries, trying to shut the, the mouth of God, trying to stop the Word of God, but it doesn't work. And there is nothing anyone can ever do to quiet God. They'll use the same tactics that Sanballat and Tobiah use. They'll, they'll mock you. Listen, this world will mock you for believing in Jesus. They will hate you. And they will despise you. They will treat you with indignation. They will belittle the work that we do. They will even conspire to fight against us and to hinder us. So what was the reaction of the people in face of this opposition? Nehemiah chapter 4. Look at it with me. Verses 16 through 18 again. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the habergeons, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which build it on the wall and they which, that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand 
held a weapon. They fought as they worked. As they, as they, trow, as they used their trowels and put mortar to, to, to lay bricks, they had a sword in the other hand. And if someone came to attack them, they were prepared to stop the work and fight. And that's the attitude the people had. They were not going to be stopped. They were going to dwell at peace if possible, but if, if, if war had to be done, it would be done. And that's the attitude God's people need. We need to have the attitude that we will dwell at peace with all men, but we will stand and, and work for the Lord at all costs. I find many scriptures to encourage men, encourage me when facing oppositions. Romans 8.31 What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.37 Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I could go on and on and on. But tonight, let us not be deterred by opposition. Let us go forward in faith, trusting the Lord for the result of our work in our lives. And then lastly tonight, I just want us to see that they achieved in the face of adversity. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. So built we the wall. And the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. These people succeeded in building the wall. Why? Was it because they decided they were going to build the wall? Was it because they had the knowledge or the ability to build the wall? No. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 why anything is accomplished. Paul says here, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And what that verse means is I can do whatever God calls me to do by his strength. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's God's grace that works in us and through us. And it's God's grace that empowers us. And it's God's grace that encourages us. And it is by God that we can do all things. We, when we do things the way God has instructed us, when we pray and seek God's will, when we follow the word of God, we will succeed. Noah believed God's word. He built the ark, and he and his family were saved. Abraham trusted God. He left his home and went to a city built by God. Moses chose affliction rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin. Joshua and Caleb had faith in God's word and possessed their inheritance. David loved the Lord. He faced the lion. He faced the bear, and he slew Goliath. Solomon desired the wisdom of God above wealth, fame, and long life, and God gave him all of these in addition to his wisdom. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow to the idol, and God delivered them from the fiery furnace. Daniel obeyed the word of God rather than the law of man, 
and God delivered him from the mouth of the lions. It's important to remember that obeying the will of God may not always be pleasant. Each of these men I just named went through great hardship and faced great adversity, yet God delivered them from it all. God's will may not always be pleasant, but it is always successful according to His own purpose. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. You'll never know the joy of experiencing God's power and majesty unless you're willing to go and face the adversity to that will. So what about us tonight? Are we heartbroken over the desolation of our nation tonight? Are we trusting the Lord for our providence tonight? Are we attentive and receptive to the preaching of the Word of God? Do we have the faith to face trials and tribulations throughout life? Do we have the courage to face adversity and obey the Lord? Nehemiah wrote, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah couldn't do it by himself. He needed the people. And the people had a mind to work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, many times in this life we face adversity, we face difficulties. Sometimes, Lord, we, sometimes we, we think just maybe just giving up, just stopping, just quitting. Sometimes we think, you know, I'm just, I can't do it all on my own. And we're tempted to stop. And Lord, we, we see this story where your people had nothing. Everything had been taken away from them. Their dignity, their, their self-esteem. They were impoverished. They were afflicted. They were mocked. They were, they were abused. They had no hope. But then, Lord, Nehemiah came with your word and with a vision for what you would do. And the people had a mind to work, and they got up, and they obeyed you. Help us to do the same. Thank you, Lord, for this night. I pray this message would have been received with the spirit it was given. I pray, Lord, that we would apply it to our lives and that we would use it to glorify you. Thank you for all that are here. Bless us now and send us forth with your blessings. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org